Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll be settling down on a few verses this morning, one in, one in particular. Uh, this is the time of year where normally uh, we're about over it with shopping, with Christmas prep, with things like that. I know some of you just, you, you love that. You love the busyness. You love the excitement of the season. You love the, the bustle, the hustle and the bustle. And uh, my mother is one of those. She loves going in the midst of a shopping area where it is crammed full of people, where people are all just jostling for position and, and just crammed in shoulder to shoulder, long lines. She just loves the excitement of it. I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> no, uh, never have. Uh, but some of you, I know you, you just really enjoy that. But this is around the time of the season, usually, usually, where we would say, whew, and it's just, there's just so much, and there's so many things going on, and there's so much busyness, and the schedules are so crammed, and we have this party, and that party, and this get-together, and that, that social event. And this year, we haven't had that. We're weary for another reason. We're, we're tired of the whole pandemic, and we're tired of wearing masks, and we're tired of all the bickering on the news about this and that and the other and and so we we are we've reached this stage of weariness but we're in a different kind of weary now it's not the normal kind of weary i know many of us would say i would willingly trade the weariness of 2020 for the weariness of previous years when we were weary of the shopping and the busyness and the going and the coming and all sorts of other stuff well, when you look at the Christmas story in the Bible, you look at the birth narrative in the Bible, the birth of Christ, we find that Jesus did come, when you look at it historically, Jesus came to a very wearied world. He came to a world that in that one little corner, they were under the rule of Rome. And of course, the Roman Empire spread in vast areas beyond Israel. But, but we find that they were under military rule. They were heavily taxed. We find that's the reason that Joseph and Mary had to make the trip from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, nearly 100 miles, was to go and be registered for a census that was related to paying Roman taxes. And you have all of the other uh, political unrest that was going on. You have the religious unrest that was going on during this time. And it's into this environment that we find Jesus is born. In the fullness of time, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. At the exact right moment in time. At the, at the, the crux of history. At that exact time, that perfect timing of God, we find that Jesus is born. But his birth announcement, as we sang about this morning, his birth announcement is very unique. Not only because of the nature of the birth announcement, that is, what was being said, but also to whom it was transmitted, that is, the shepherds. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But let's look at this story uh, in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pray with me if you would. Lord God, as we come before you this morning, we ask that you would speak to us from your word. We ask that you might give us direction, leadership, encouragement, that you might challenge us, that you might use your word in such a way this morning that we would be forever changed more and more into the likeness of your son. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whenever we look at this, this birth announcement, there are a few things that are there that are applicable to us today. Because what God, and through the angels, told these shepherds, it's the same thing that God tells us every Christmas season. It's the same thing that we need to latch on to, and it's some things that we need to understand. It doesn't just end with us. This is the best news possible that we find the shepherds receive, and we too have that as well. And that's our first idea in this. We have been given the best news possible. Look back in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, for behold I bring you good news. Now that phrase, good news, that, that word for good news was a word that was common in this day. That word didn't mean, in their understanding at this moment, didn't mean, hey, the Savior's born. That's not the way it was used before. It was used before to announce a political victory. It may be used to announce a military victory. It was a word that was used to describe the birth of Caesar. The birthday of Caesar was referred to as being good news. It was the gospel because it was understood that Caesar was to be worshipped as God himself. And so it's into this kind of pagan understanding of that word, the angels say, we bring you good news. Not just good news, we bring you the best news. We bring you news of a, of a military invasion by the Holy One. We bring you news of a great victory for a kingdom. We bring you news we bring you news of the birth of the real Savior. Not a, not a pretender, not a human who's claiming to be God in the case of Caesar. No, no, God himself. We bring you the best news possible. And we have received that best possible news. Not only does it relate to the Roman idea of good news, it's a callback to the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, we find these words, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. It's the good news that the prophets talked about, but it's the best possible news that we could ever receive, that a world that was lost in sin that was helpless and hopeless because of its transgressions against a holy God into this world, this weary world, God sent his son 
on a rescue mission. That's the best news possible. Sometimes we lose that. We lose the true wonder of Christmas in the midst of all the other things that society has heaped upon the idea of Christmas. We lose that meaning. Uh, some of you met him when we were on our way to Israel, but my Jewish friend Yonki that we met on the plane, and, and Yonki and I in the last year, we, we communicate via WhatsApp about once a week and discuss all sorts of things. And this past week, Yonki had sent me a message and he said, so Christmas is coming up. Of course, he's Jewish. He's an Orthodox Jew. He doesn't celebrate Christmas. But last year, he made it a point to wish me a Merry Christmas, even though he doesn't understand all the particulars about it. But, but the, last week, he sent me a message and he just said, so answer this question for me. Is Christmas for you a religious holiday? I said, yes, very much so. He said, is Christmas at heart a religious holiday? I said, absolutely, yes. He said, well, that's amusing. I said, why is that amusing? He said, no, I don't mean amusing. It's amusing toward you. He said, it's amusing and sad because I'm looking at Hollywood and how all these people are saying they're celebrating Christmas and they are the most irreligious people that I've ever seen. And I said, you have a point. You have a point, my Jewish friend. You have a very, very good point. And he said, it seems to me that if you say it's a religious holiday, that, that, that people should celebrate it as a religious holiday. I said, I agree. Completely and totally agree with you on this. But even my friend Yonke, who doesn't even celebrate Christmas, he understands that Christmas is more than what culture has made it out to be. Christmas for us, it should be just what Phil talked about this morning. It's about the gospel. That's the whole point. We have been given the best news possible. Let me show you how amazing this news is. Let me show you how great this news is. If you look back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, we see a little glimpse of how amazing the gospel is. It was revealed to them, them being the prophets in the Old Testament. It says, Peter writes, it was revealed to them that they, the prophets, were serving not themselves, but you. So the prophets, as they wrote in the Old Testament, they weren't just writing for themselves. They were writing to the people who were going to read it later, ultimately, and they would understand it in light of God bringing those prophecies to fulfillment. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So these prophets were prophesying about that best news possible, the good news, the gospel that was going to be preached to us in all of its clarity in the person of Jesus, but the prophets were just getting glimpses of that. And then we have this phrase, don't miss this, things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. The angels at Bethlehem, who announced the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds. These are the same angels, these angelic beings, long to look into the wonder and the amazing nature of 
the gospel itself. Have you thought about that? That's what Peter says. He's not being exaggerative here. He's not saying, oh, it's so amazing, even angels want to look into it. No, he's saying that angels desire to look into it. Now, you may look at that and say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, it does when you think about it from an angelic perspective. First of all, you don't find anywhere in the Bible that the angels are capable of receiving redemption. Once, once an angel has rebelled against God, that's it. You don't, you don't find a second chance mentioned for angels. But you have these angels around the throne of God, and let's just imagine that. These angels understand how God is completely holy. They're in the presence of God. God is there. They're, they're, the, these angelic beings are around him crying out, holy, holy, holy. And so now we have these angels. They're all worshiping God. And God says, okay, I want you to go down and announce that my son is being born. And he's going to be born as a little baby. Wait, what? Yeah. And, and, and not only that, he's going to die for the sins of humanity. Think about what that would do to an angel's mind. You what? I mean, but you're a holy God. Wait, not that, and I know I'm being, I'm being, you know, creative with my thoughts here. I'm not saying, you know, these angels are like, that's a bad idea, God, don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying these are things that would set an angel's mind to reeling. And the angels are, are looking into this idea of the gospel. You, you, don't get, you don't get the idea from this passage in, in Luke where they show up at Bethlehem that the angels are like, this is old news, but boy, won't these, won't these shepherds be excited. This is ho-hum news. We've heard it a million times, and we're going to let it be known to the shepherds, and the shepherds are just going to be blown away. No, the angels themselves, in announcing it, they are praising God themselves. They are rejoicing and giving God glory because they understand. They have a clear view of human history. They have a clear view of human sin. They have a clear view of all the atrocities throughout history. And then God says, I'm going to send my son to die for those people. Wait, wow, God, what an incredible move. It's the same thing that we find laid out in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Even the church itself, the church itself, the outworking of the gospel in the people of Christ, that is a witness to the angelic beings. It is a witness to the glory of God, the wisdom of God, the splendor of God, the incredible work of God through the gospel. It blows their minds. This is why when you're by yourself, your faithfulness matters. Well, nobody's around to watch me, so it really doesn't matter. All of heaven is watching. All of heaven is, is looking at the testimony that each one of us is bearing witness to. And the church itself is one of those things that the angels are saying, wow, that displays the glory of God. That displays this good news, this best news possible that has been communicated to them. We have been given the best news 
possible. Fear not, I bring you good news. It's good news, but it's good news of great joy. Which means we can truly rejoice. We can go so far as to say this, only followers of Christ know true joy. Now granted, you may have things, if, if you're not a follower of Christ, you may have things that you enjoy. You may have things that bring you happiness. You may know certain fleeting moments of joy, but you're never going to have that solid, sure, enduring joy, that biblical joy, not without Christ. Only the followers of Christ can truly rejoice. And we can, we can truly rejoice. A weary world rejoices. We, in our weariness this year, we can rejoice. Now, I know every now and then you run into one of those people when you, you know, you, you, you're happy about something and you're enjoying something or you're glad about something. We all have those people in our lives that, you know, you get around them and they look at you and they're like, well, I don't know why you're so happy. You know, you know what I'm talking about. This season seems to bring them out. I don't know why people are rejoicing. I don't know why people are so happy. We got this going on. You know, I don't know why people are smiling, laughing all the time. Eh, you know, if you looked in a mirror, you might know. I mean, for goodness sake, right? We all have those Grinches. We all have them. But we're the only ones that have that true joy, that can truly know joy. Not only that, this is God's will for us. That's God's will. You ever have somebody say, I just really want to know what God's will is for me. Well, there are multiple times in the Bible where it says, this is God's will for you. So, so you need to be practicing those things that God says, this is my will for you. Notice, notice in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Here it is. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you rejoice always we can always find something for which to rejoice there's always something that we can rejoice about and i know some people say no 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 mm -mm, no certain situations there's nothing i can rejoice in no there are things that we can rejoice in we can rejoice that regardless of the circumstance regardless of the situation for the child of god this is not it this is not our final destination we can rejoice that we have a hope in heaven that is reserved for us, that's laid up for us. We, we can rejoice that we can know God. Not just know about God, but know God. I talked to my small group the other day. We were, we were meeting. And I was telling them, that's the one thing. That's the one thing for me. The fact that we can know God and make him known to people. That we can, you think about, let's think about that. You can know God himself. I don't mean just gather a bunch of facts about God so you can win Bible drill. I don't mean just know a lot about the Bible so you can impress your coworkers or win some sort of theological argument. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about know God personally know God I can honestly say and I, I don't, I'm not saying this out of any sort of arrogance or anything because it is a God thing but I can honestly say I 
I know God better than I, than, seriously, than sometimes I even know myself. And I'm not saying, oh, you're, well, that's being arrogant. No, no, no. I'm saying literally, literally, I just long to know God. And it blows my mind every time I open God's Word and I can read God's Word and I can say, God, you want me to know you. You want me to know, not just know about you, but know you and walk with you intimately day by day by day. Can I tell you when I know that I'm about to get in trouble? I know that I'm about to get in theological trouble and spiritual trouble when I reach a point that I'm no longer desperate for God. When I reach a point that I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I, I need to check myself. I need to live in a daily desperation for God. Every day saying, God, I need you so much today. I need you more today than I even need you yesterday. It's the way it feels. I'm aware of my great, great need for you. I'm just desperate for you. I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to know you deeper. And if we can say that, then God meets us in that. We can know God. That's a reason, that's a reason to rejoice, that we can know God himself. He's not just somebody that you, yeah, I'm going to come into his presence for an hour on Sunday, and then if it's not over an hour, I'm, I'm done. I mean, I only give God an hour a week to really worship him. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. COVID has shown us, I really believe, that COVID has forced many Christians in America to the place that they have to say, do I have an intimate, vibrant, growing, desperate need for God that I seek him out daily? Because whenever we've not been able to meet in person as we normally have, a lot of people depended upon Sunday morning and they haven't practiced that, that desperation for God on a daily basis, getting in God's word and feasting on God's word. Every now and then I'll have somebody come to me and say, no, pastor, you don't understand. Sunday is like a filling station for me, and I show up and get gassed up for the rest of the week. It's really hard for me to serve. It's hard for me to do all sorts of other stuff. But Sunday morning is like my filling station so that I can get filled up to make it through the week. I understand we all have difficult seasons and we all have different, difficult weeks and days. But if, that is the, if that's the story of your life, can I tell you, if you are not pouring that out to other people around you, that is the reason you are empty come Friday. Because you're not giving it away. You're just like, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? I need to get mine so I can make it through my week. I need just enough Jesus to get me through the week, but not enough Jesus to actually transform me into his likeness. That's not what the Bible calls us to. We can have great joy. There's joy in knowing God. Listen to Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How, how often are we to rejoice in the Lord? Always. That means it doesn't stop. We're always rejoicing in Him. But you're not going to rejoice in the Lord without spending time with God and realizing that there is reason to rejoice. We have to be in his presence, and in his presence, things get righted, perspectives get changed, priorities get reorganized when you're in the presence of God. I can't tell you the number of times I get worried about something, and I go before God in prayer, and then the more I pray, the more I realize that's not the issue. That is a blip on the screen compared to what God is leading us toward. 
We, are the, we have reasons to truly rejoice. I bring you good news of great joy. And here's the final phrase. That will be for all the people. You know what that points toward? We must share without partiality. It's good news of great joy for all the people. Well, who's all the people? All the people is all the people. That means everybody. That's the idea that we find. Romans 12, 11, for there is no partiality with God. And in the context, it's talking about being sinful and being in the need of having God work in our lives. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The message is for all the people because all have sinned. Everybody, no one's exempt. Everyone has sinned in the past and still continue to fall short of the glory of God in the present. So we are to share without partiality. That's what we find in the people of the shepherds. Now, depending on who you read online, you find a lot of stuff. Um, some, there's this, I don't know if you're aware of this, this Christmas time argument. It comes up every Christmas uh, in a lot of theological circles. And some people say one thing about the shepherds and some people say another thing about the shepherds. Some people say shepherds were loved and beloved and kind and sweet and, and, and all sorts of other stuff. And some say they were low down, rotten, dirty, nasty people. And, and we have these two groups that, that kind of war. And every now and then somebody will say, well, where, where are you on this? Well, I just go back and I just look at what history says. That's where, that's where I am. And I just go back and look at some of the writings. It's important to understand that when the Jews, a little history lesson here, when the Jews were taken to Egypt, or when the Jews actually went down to Egypt, when Joseph told his family, come down here and live in Egypt. Joseph makes a reference at the end of Genesis, and Joseph, or toward the end of that story, and Joseph says, uh, I just want you to know that every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Because the Egyptians were agrarian, the Egyptians grew crops. So they regarded livestock grazing as an issue because they'll destroy their crops. And so the Egyptians looked down upon shepherding in general. And that's what Joseph says. So you find that with 400 years of living there as prisoners, as captives, there was a little bit of Egypt that probably rubbed off on them. And so you find that these people who were traditionally shepherds, now you find that they become more and more distant from that idea. The Egyptians abhorred the idea of shepherds which is interesting because at the passover you find the god saying hey take some lambs and let them live with you in the house for a whole week before you kill them and make a sacrifice wait a minute what you mean we're gonna take a nasty little we're gonna take a nasty little animal let them live in the house with us for a week wait what god i mean even then even the very idea it wasn't, oh, we're going to get a cute little lamb to live with us for a week. It's going to be amazing. Don't get, too, uh, don't get too connected with it, kids. All right? Don't get attached. Bad things are going to happen. All right? But it has to. But the point being, at one point in time, that was, shepherding was a thing. And then it kind of fell out of vogue. Then you have David, who became king. And there was a little bit of resurgence so far as the appreciation of shepherds. But by the time of Jesus, when we look at the historical documents, we find that shepherds were not regarded as high-class people. I don't even know that you could say they were regarded as low-class people. They were beyond the low-class people. Listen to what one writer said about this. Some shepherds 
earned their poor reputations. Others were the victims of a cruel stereotype. The religious leaders maligned the shepherd's good name. Rabbis banned pasturing sheep and goats in Israel except on desert plains. In Jewish, the Jewish written record of their oral law, so it was the law that was passed on, not God's law, but tradition, uh, the oral law that was passed on, the written record, which was called the Mishnah. The Mishnah records this. One passage describes shepherds as incompetent. Another passage says, if you come upon a shepherd who's fallen into a pit, you shouldn't feel obligated to rescue him. Just let him stay in the hole. No sense in getting him out. There was one writer during the time of Jesus who documents that shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not hold a judicial office, nor could they be admitted in court as a witness because they were considered unreliable. It was just a matter of, you're a shepherd. We're not going to have you as a witness. Who's going to believe the testimony of a shepherd? Shepherds lie. This writer wrote, to buy wool, milk, or a young kid, that's a, a, a young goat, or in the case of a a lamb, in the case of a sheep, to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption it would be stolen property. So if you were to buy something for a shepherd, you just had to go ahead and assume, that's probably stolen. That is a a hot sheep, right? (laughs) I mean, somebody's missing the sheep, and they're trying to to hawk this sheep. In Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, listen to what this historian writes. The rabbi, this is during the time of Jesus he wrote this. The rabbis ask with amazement how, in the view of the despicable nature of shepherds, one can explain why God was called my shepherd in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Rabbis in Jesus' day were saying, why would God refer to himself as a shepherd, given that shepherds are so incompetent and detestable? Yet, That's the group that the angels come to first. The first people that God announces the birth of his son to are the people that according to society are backwards, losers, lowlifes, thieves, dishonest people. And God says, go to the shepherds. Go to the shepherds and tell them this good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people and start with them to let everybody know that it's for all the people. He didn't start and say, okay, angels, I want you to go. I want you to show up in Caesar's palace. I'm talking about over there, not the one in Las Vegas. Show up in Caesar's palace and tell Caesar, hey, Caesar, or there for that matter, show up in Caesar's palace and say, Caesar, let me tell you, there's been this child born and he's the ruler of all things. I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. No, he doesn't start there. Does he show up there where the Jews, the Jewish leaders are meeting? Show up at this great religious meeting and he's going to show up and the angel shows up there? No. God says, it's going to be good news for all the people, but you're going to show up at the bottom. And I want you to tell the ones at the bottom that it has come to all people. Because by starting at the bottom, I'm making it clear what my intent is. If I start at the bottom and tell these people it's for all people, that's a whole lot different than starting from the top and telling them, hey, it's for all people. No, 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 I'm starting at the bottom. And not only that, I'm going to send my son clad in human flesh, and he's going to be fully God, but he's going to be fully man, and he's going to start, and we're going to, he's going to be laid in a manger. He's going to be put in a feeding trough. 
That's, what, that's what's going to happen in a little dusty backwater Bethlehem in a place where there's not going to be room for him there in the house, there in the inn. And so he's going to have to be laid in a manger and then I'm going to announce it to the shepherds. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Because it's going to be good news of great joy for all the people. That's it. This is why when Mary rejoices, she's there with Elizabeth, and Mary rejoices in the first book of Luke. She's rejoicing. We call it Mary's Magnificat. She's giving praise and glory to God. Notice in verse 52 what she says. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Mary hasn't even had the baby yet, and God is speaking through her even to us today that he didn't start with those sitting on the thrones. No, 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 no. He started with those of the humble estate, the most humble of estates, the, the despised. That's it. It's good news of great joy for all people. Every time I think about this, I think about a story that I read when I was a kid. It was about Samuel Colgate of the Colgate Corporation. Many, many years ago, Samuel Colgate, who was also a devout Christian, was in church. And they were having a, kind of a an evangelistic kind of type crusade. They were having a, a revival movement there in the church. And this woman came forward at the end of one of the sermons. She was a well-known prostitute. And she came forward and just weeping and crying and got on her knees at the altar and prayed that God would save her. And then at the end of the service, uh, she, the, the pastor had asked her kind of what went on, and she gave testimony to the fact of what she, the, the lifestyle she had lived, the job she had had, and then how God had spoken to her during that service and dealt with her and how she had repented of her sins and asked God to forgive her because she wanted to live from Christ from then on. And the pastor made a motion that at that time what they would do is you could be accepted for membership right there. And somebody spoke up and said, I don't know if we should do that. I think we need to, put a, I think we need to pause this for a little while before we, uh, before we allow her to come into our fellowship. And a few others agreed. And old Mr. Samuel Colgate stood up in the back of the church. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. I have been mistaken. Not only have I been mistaken, but we clearly have have led God astray. I mean, I think we need to apologize to God because clearly we misunderstood. And they said, what are you talking about? He said, we have prayed that God would rescue sinners, but apparently we forgot to tell him what kind we wanted him to rescue. So apparently this woman is not the kind we wanted so we need to tell God we're sorry for not being more specific about who we want him to save. Well, she was accepted into the membership very quickly afterwards. Listen, it's good news of great joy for all the people, for the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the lowly and the forgotten and the outcasts and the lame and the sick and the Gentiles and the Samaritans and everybody in between. It is good news of great joy for all the people, even, even the lowliest of the shepherds. Many years ago, uh, whenever I was working up in Knoxville and we had our annual Christmas production, 
we had a group of people who portrayed the shepherds and they hung out with sheep we had a bunch of live we had a whole flock of live sheep that they would take care of and they would well at least during the show and they would they would have these live sheep and they were always walking around with the sheep and they were petting the sheep and they were brushing up against the sheep and it was always interesting because whenever you got ready to do the big heaven scene at the end and everybody got to go to heaven everybody's wearing white everybody's dressed all alike we're all wearing white white heavenly robes but when you were waiting in the wings backstage you could tell who the shepherds were because they smelled like sheep they always smelled like sheep you get close when you're like what does that smell you're like it's you no like it's sheep I, i'm i'm reminded that in heaven granted we, we won't have that sort of recognition but we do have to understand that's the idea of God's kingdom. It's, it's those that smell like sheep. It's those who, who, who reek of alcoholism. It's those who smell of scandal. It's those who, who smell of, of dishonesty or those who just smell, who are somewhere on that socioeconomic ladder that we would not pay a whole lot of attention to them. And I think probably if we were back in these days, if a shepherd was coming at us, we would check our pocketbook. We would check where our wallet was and we might step over to the other side of the road because they were known for being ruffians and tough and dishonest. Yet those are exactly the people that God came to first and said, go tell everybody that my son is born. Go tell everybody that in the city of David there is born to you this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's a Savior, one who's going to save people from their sins, and he is Christ. He's the Messiah, and he's the Lord. He's the master over all things. You go tell people that. Go tell them that because it's good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It's interesting, and I'll leave us with this. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, written at a time where shepherds were not viewed as great, wonderful, kind-hearted people. In Revelation 7, 17, you find this about the future. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The very lamb, that despised lamb, is going to be the shepherd but no longer a despised shepherd, the shepherd, the good shepherd, the shepherd of all shepherds. But it still hints at that lowliness of the Messiah, that humility of the Messiah, even in glory, even in all his splendor, there is still that element of the servant who is Christ, who was born in a manger and who was born to save people from their sins good news of great joy for whom for all the people so this morning if you're here with us if you're watching or listening later can i just tell you it is still the best news possible and it is a message of good news it's a message of great joy and it's for all the people you me everyone and if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, he calls you to surrender to him today, to lay down your life and say, I'm, I want to follow you. I want to be shepherded by you, the good shepherd, the lamb who laid down his life for me, for you. I want to follow him. And if that's a decision you need to make today, we would love to talk to you. 
about how you can know God through the person of Christ who lived a sinless life and died a sinner's death in our place. And we receive him by faith, by trusting in that sacrifice that he made for us. For unto us is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you that you sent your Son at the exact right moment in time, in the fullness of time, as the book of Galatians tells us, at exactly the right moment, we weren't seeking salvation through a sacrificial suffering Messiah. We, we, weren't, we weren't even seeking you, Lord God. But you sought us. And you came to the shepherds. And Father, no matter where any one of us find ourselves today, we recognize that we're all really, so far as holiness is concerned, in and of ourselves, we're all shepherds. We're all at the bottom when compared to your holiness. When compared to your perfection, we're all outcasts. We are, as the early rabbis labeled those shepherds, we are very literally sinners. And we are in need of a Savior. And you provided a Savior through the person of Jesus. And this Christmas, Lord God, may we, as part of a weary world, may we rejoice in that best news that we have been given. And it's for all the people. May we never forget that. And may we then go out and share that good news without partiality, knowing that all have sinned and fall short of your glory. And Lord God, all, all are in need of a Savior. So Father, we pray that you would go before us during this time and during this week. We know there'll be times of, of reflection this week. We know there'll be times where all of the busyness that we do experience during this week will try to draw us away from that true meaning that we find in Christ during the Christmas season. Father, I pray that you would reprioritize our understandings so that we'll focus on you and you alone. We give you thanks. We give you glory. We give you praise for the gift of Christ. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.